I have a number of shows that I am interested in watching on my list on Netflix, right? And whenever I click into Netflix and I look through that list, I don't select any of them. I just, I just, I look at them and then I go, nope, not interested. And then I, I go to YouTubers. Like my grandparents are never gonna buy a streaming service. They don't own a computer. They don't have Wi-Fi. They're gonna stick with cable, but they're gonna eventually pass away. And those people who are like them will also eventually pass away. And then we'll all just have streaming services. I think the greater availability of live streamed events makes it so, I more and more you're going to see event organizers charging higher and higher prices for for their tickets to actually attend in person welcome back to coming in without context this is episode 30 we have casey with us casey howdy hopes in the wings so i will be hosting today casey so i want to talk about the future of broadcasts specifically streaming okay I know you, like me, are a fellow uh, internet enjoyer. <laughs> streaming. You enjoy the internet, yeah. <laughs> streaming enjoyer. So I guess, like, starting off, uh, tell me about your history with TV, both now and, like, previously as a, as a kid. How much TV did you watch? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I, surprisingly, I don't think I've ever watched that much TV. I think, um, I think my earliest memories of TV was I think when I was either four or five, I was watching uh, a VHS tape, actually, <laughs> if, if folks don't remember that. Yeah. Uh, I was watching a VH, VHS tape of the, I believe, the seventh and eighth episodes of Card Captor Sakura, this um, this anime back in the past, as well as this, there was another VHS tape we had of like two or three early episodes of Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I grew up with a with a scarcity mindset because those are the only episodes of those shows I was ever able to watch. So I mean, one of the episodes was the earliest episodes of the Pokemon cartoon, or it, it was just one where Ash was competing against another another um, trainer, and they had their metapods out and they were just screaming Harden, Harden, <laughs> like this giant like endurance battle for twenty minutes straight. Um, yeah, so wow. those were my earliest memories. But I think I I got into like like computers like really quickly in my life so a lot of my early like media consumption was through youtube instead yeah well then um how about today like do you do you watch any broadcast tv today do you even have a tv i don't have a tv um i do watch some broadcast tv through questionable means Mm. um stuff like uh like sports games i mean over the over the past like month month and a half i was like most people glued to the my uh my, my screen watching the world cup yep um so yeah watch watch a lot of sports in terms of streaming stuff um youtube tiktok a bit too much unfortunately um <laughs> and then i uh i watched a good amount of gaming streams on twitch well um speaking of twitch so I feel like Twitch is kind of unique. Um, um, YouTube's kind of trying to move into this space, but Twitch was like the OG for streaming, right? Like online streaming. Twitch was the the dominant, like now it's kind of mainstream almost, right? Like mm-hmm. the of creator content, like long form, um, n- like non-curated. Like YouTube was kind of more, it started out as like fun family videos you just make at home, but now like YouTube is pretty professional right like a lot of the channels are companies but twitch is still like at its roots although there's sponsors it's just like you and the streamer and then like a few hundred thousand other people in the chat (laughs) 
And then everyone has a parasocial relationship. I think that's interesting. I, I think I would actually disagree with that, where I think inherently the nature of streaming in front of an audience for, you know, seven to 10 hours makes it so it's hard to have scripted content. Mm. Um, I, I would say it, it's similarly professional, you know, like I, I co-founded and sold this, like, a company that dealt with like esports and streaming. Right. And yeah. I think there's a, there's a level of professionalism that, that exists within now, but I, I think you're definitely right. There, there are two different types of mediums where yeah i remember like when we were growing up right we used to watch videos from from people like um like uh, niga higa yep. and like kev jumbo stuff like that and then you compare their old skits right <laughs> just like acting out like the things a ninja or something yeah to, very different yeah the top youtuber now mr beast right we're talking about videos worth tens of millions of dollars in budget um completely scripted and yeah it feels like a completely different world now absolutely well, then now I want to focus on the crossover between streaming, like our understanding of streaming, especially in the modern era, versus more traditional TV viewing habits. Do you have any bold predictions for like the next five or 10 years for how this landscape is going to develop? Yeah, I think I think what people are going to experience is... Oh, I, I think put in a greater context of things, right? The 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 process of consuming like entertainment used to be an extremely formalized process, right? You think about late 1800s, 1900s, right? As it became more available to average people, like if you went out to see a play or a musical or, or some other show, it was highly formalized, right? You have people right. dressing up with their canes and top hats, they got their monocles out and that cooled down over time. And then suddenly with the advent of, of tvs you know you can watch in the in the comfort of your home you don't have to go to movie theaters for example mm -hmm. right and then not only that now you know with youtube then you don't even have to pay to to watch content people create it you can watch it for free just watch ads as well and then beyond that it's now you can watch it for free when you want uh, the comfort of your home you can watch it whenever you want 24 7 right and i think it's it's just changed so dramatically over over time that I think now it's like you, yeah, you have such a deluge of content, like you can't get through. I, I think for me, like I got like five, six TV shows that I that I have to watch. You know, like like 10, 20 different YouTubers that I follow. I watch all their videos. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, I can't keep up with all this. I think the best example is like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? You you went from like having one movie every single every two years to one movie every year, and now it's like okay, you have to keep up with four TV shows and two movie releases every year. It's like it, it's getting a lot for people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, that's one of the major points I want to discuss with you. So I I wrote down this note about over choice or choice overload. And I think mm. that's like one side of it. And then also this other aspect that you mentioned is just like how much content is being produced. Like it's, it's all being watered down almost like you have you don't know where to look. And I, I think this is especially prevalent um, in discussion about Netflix, because yeah. usually when you put all this money into creating these shows. Like these are very expensive to produce shows. It's not like just you can type it and then it's it's made, right? You have to go through producers and executives and then every like the whole team, hundreds of people working on a team have to put together this one show before it reaches your TV set, right? There's so much riding on making a profit from these shows and that requires an equal amount of money going into the marketing just for each individual show right mm -hmm. but netflix 
has run into this issue where they might be creating so much content, but they're not <laughs> marketing any of it to anybody so that all of this content gets like barely any viewership, like on a large scale, right? To, to turn a profit. So what, what do you think about like this oversaturation of the, the media market? Yeah. Um, well, first, have you, have you ever watched Breaking Bad? Yes. Yeah. It, I'm just reminded of that, that uh, one Mike was like, we had a good thing, right? And I feel like that's how I feel with uh, with Netflix and streaming, where I think Netflix has been initially, I think, did great things, right, for, yeah. for TV and film. Yeah, definitely. Um, increased access at a more affordable rate to people. And then now, you know, you have Paramount Plus, you have Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. The, the blue chip IPs, as I would call it, right, you know, your stuff like um, James Bond movies or The Office or what people would want to watch, right, when they go on a streaming app. Mm-hmm it's becoming more and more distributed, more and more decentralized. And so when that happens, folks like Netflix, they see, okay, our, our viewership numbers are going down. What do we do? Well, we should make more content, right? But then like you said, the attention is getting more and more divided across content that, you know, the data, the statistics show that they project well. It's like, well, people like hot people, people like dating shows, people <laughs> like, like, um, like, contestants with drama yeah so yep. let's combine them all and like make 10 shows like that and it's like okay on paper it works in practice it doesn't and i think what it really is doing it's it, 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 i think it's hurting the opportunity for people to create interesting content right where i think this this relationship that i think you brought up between the cost of producing something that needs to be approved by executives and then the output right the revenue the profit that a piece of work is generating it i think it became less explicit with streaming services yeah yeah because the business model changed right when it comes to movies from movie theaters you're you're charging amount of money a transaction cost for a ticket and then the movie theater takes a cut the publishing studios take a cut etc cetera, etc cetera. very straightforward when it comes to a service like netflix they're charging a subscription as a service fee right you're you're paying you know five ten dollars a month and so the question is less around how do we maximize our revenue, it's how do we increase the lifetime of our customers and how do we improve engagement and retention over time? Yes, absolutely. Right? If you think about it in terms of that, suddenly the justification of spending, what was it, like $80, $90 million on a movie like The Irishman becomes more and more abstract, right? Whereas if you were to put in movie theaters, okay, if we're putting $100 million into this movie plus marketing everything, we expect it to earn at least $300, $400 million. And I think... The greater flexibility that streaming services to some extent have enabled movies to have is good. The proliferation of content is bad. So I think it's a really mixed bag. I, I don't know. Have you read the stat where it's like uh, the average person, if they don't choose what they're going to watch in Netflix in the first 30 seconds, they, they're simply going to leave mm-hmm. the app? Yeah. yeah like the, I think it was yeah. like 80, 90% of people are like that. I'm one of those people as well. Yeah, absolutely. That Actually, that was something I was going to talk about too. It's like the going back to the over choice or choice overload, like I have a number of shows that I am interested in watching on my list on Netflix, right? And whenever I click into Netflix and I look through that list, I don't select any of them. <laughs> I just, I just, I look at them and then I go, nope, not interested. And then I, I go to YouTube or something to try and find something else to watch, right? Like even if I'm really bored and I have nothing to do, I still can't pick one of them or like commit to like watching one of the shows through even if i know like oh this is a show other people have liked it's it's well reviewed you know like it's it's this long i have this much time to watch it like i i don't know what it is about like 
our human psychology or just maybe me personally right like <laughs> it's it's a very modern and first world issue but then compare that to like live tv where you turn on your tv and you have a list of channels and they're playing very specific things but you don't get to choose like it's not on demand right mm-hmm. why is there no similar feeling where when you log onto your TV, you have all these options, but you don't feel overwhelmed. I mean, that's what the recommendation feed should help you do, right? Like if you go on YouTube, there's tens of billions of videos on YouTube, but you're supposed to feel like I know the ones I want to watch yeah. because they're showing me the right ones. Or, um, I mean, like TikTok's algorithm is, is amazing. I, I think objectively speaking for most people, because it's catered over time and you only have access to the, to the recommendation engine. Like you have to go out of your way to watch content on TikTok that is not a part of your your recommendations. But then for Netflix, it's like, I, I don't know what it is. I think part of it might be that because the amount that you're watching gives them less data, right? Because you're watching like in single sitting and TikTok, you're watching like hundreds of videos maybe. For YouTube, it's like a few dozen. For for Netflix, it's like one episode of a show or like one movie. It's harder, I guess, for them to, to guess what you want to watch. Um, which then makes it suffer. But then again, another part of it's they want to be pushing the the content that they spent tens of millions of dollars on, right? Yeah. But you don't want it, so it's like they're defeating their own uh, their own incentives there. So I took um, American TV class this past semester, and um, I learned about like the business models for traditional TV. So basically, most of the money that a TV show will make on broadcast networks is through syndication, where they yep. sell the rights to show on different channels or different platforms, et cetera. Like, so for example, nowadays on streaming platforms, you can find The Office or Friends or et cetera, like all these famous old sitcoms, right? And that's how they made money in in traditional TV broadcasting. But as we've kind of touched upon already, streaming seems to have a problem with monetization. And I guess to start off this segment, I want to ask both of you, what streaming services are you currently subscribed to or have access to yeah i have netflix hulu amazon prime and hbo max i use netflix <laughs> i don't pay for netflix <laughs> uh and i maybe i'm not maybe i'm not the best case i watch shows and t- and movies on, from other platforms but not in the most uh legal sense uh, hypothetically <laughs> hypothetically case hypothetically speaking hypothetically speaking yeah <laughs> well uh okay now i want i want to do like a little a little question answer just one just one question answer okay both of you i how much money does it cost to have a monthly subscription to the nine major streaming services okay and so that's like your disney plus apple plus netflix prime video Peacock. <laughs> Peacock, HBO Max, Hulu. How much all money does it them? cost per month? Like, guess, guesses. If you get all of them? If you get all of them. I'd say, like, 115 bucks. I would go, I think Disney Plus is a little bit more expensive. I, I would go maybe, like, 140-ish, 140, 150. I mean, it's definitely more than cable now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, Hope is closer. It's, according Dang. to Business Insider combined the nine major streaming services would cost $95 per month for all access ad free plans. Okay. Now, 
you compare that to cable, like you were just saying, Casey. For a starter plan of cable, it's also on a monthly basis. It's like 60 bucks, right? And how the cable works is that you can pay more for access to more shows, right? So you can pay up to $100 per month for like the premium cable plan where you get access to everything, like the, the on-demand movies, the, the channels with like the HD and music videos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially streaming services combined and cable are now the equivalent monthly cost. But I asked you to, which one would you prefer to have? Streaming services, like the bundle or cable? I guess for me, maybe still streaming. I don't have a TV. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> I think I would honestly consider staying uh, cable because there's like there's stuff like YouTube TV now, right? Where it's like a mix of both. I feel like if you get the premium cable, you'll still have HBO. So, and you'll have um, stars, I guess, too. <laughs> stars. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of what these. Yeah, stars and HBO. But I'd still want Netflix. Like, I would probably get the cheaper cable and then, like, the streaming services that I want rather mm. than, like, the nine streaming services or cable. So, obviously, there's still... HBO owns a, a TV channel, right? Like, or a network. But do you think they're going to move away from that? Like, I f don't you feel like the future of television is going to start moving away from the traditional tv channels and i think this this i'm going to fold into smart tvs into this discussion right like so you mentioned youtube tv there's apple tv etc cetera, etc cetera, but smart tvs have all of these apps built in to their ui now and you can use them without having a cable plan or a, like the the box that they give you you know so do you think like this, the traditional broadcast TV model is slowly dying at all? I mean, just for watching sports purposes, I think people are going to stick with cable. I mean, I'm sure there's like a streaming service that plays sports games. But like, as of now, even if I want to watch a game not through cable, I log into my parents like cable on my computer to like watch a football game and then do that. So I feel like and then like local news is still gonna be on TVs. And like, there's things that are mainstays on cable that I feel like people might not wanna necessarily give up. I think our generation is more likely to give those sorts of things up as there's like other ways to view and consume those types of media. Like I'm, I'm sure less people in our generation watch the news on cable. Because, like, if you can watch it without ads or, like, just consume, like, read articles or something, you might do that instead. And I forget where I was going and what your question was. So. Casey, do you have anything to add to that? I feel like the cynic in me believes that while cable, like, satellite TV will still exist to some extent, you're going to see more and more people begin to push it into a subscription service or at least bundle their streaming with access to specific TV shows because I think more and more technology companies are beginning to buy uh, networks. Um, I think as a result of that, it, it's going to get to the point where you, you will be forced to pay for streaming services to get access to like TV. Mm. Um, and personally, I, I, I don't like that. I think what people are seeing now with, uh, with streaming is that 
everyone is losing money now, right? Because there's more and more competitors. It's, um, I guess, like the business term is that's a red ocean, right? Everyone's suffering. Everyone's overpaying to get people to use their service. But then I think the mindset, especially of like an Amazon or a Disney is like, okay, we're huge companies. We can, we can eat these losses for five, 10 years. Yeah. As long as customers download our platform, pay for our platform, stay on our platform. Because in the long run, if there's no competitors in the future, because they were all bled out, we can then ramp up our, our costs, uh, ramp up our prices that they pay. And we can add in things like now you have to buy your streaming services to get access to TV, TV channels. And they're not going to have any other choice. And we're just going to have our cake and eat it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I'm, I'm curious, like, so obviously the, out of the big streaming services, I, I think the news has focused a lot on Netflix as the victim, right? Like Netflix is the one that's suffering the most because it doesn't have the same money or, um, background, I guess, like pedigree. I think as... it's the IP library because they yeah, licensed right. out so much of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well then how would you propose to save Netflix or how would you propose like the business model adjusts? or adapts to the future because i feel like part of it part of me believes that as streaming becomes more dominant it's already very dominant now mm -hmm. they're going to start moving towards a very similar business model as traditional tv where they start putting ads like that's that's what how youtube is doing right like you i'm sure a decent enough number of people have youtube premium to avoid ads but the vast majority of people who use YouTube are probably using the free. And so how they make money is through advertising, obviously. And then in addition to that, individual channels will have their own individual sponsorships to, to you know, supplement their income. But there's been a lot of talk about Netflix and other streaming platforms potentially turning to advertising, which has been unfavorable, obviously, from a consumer point. But it might be necessary in order to make the company or the platform financially viable. So do you guys have any alternatives or do you think this is the only way? Yeah, I feel like haven't haven't they already confirmed that they're yes. gonna yeah. yeah that they're gonna start putting ads in? I hate that. I've um it, it's funny that you bring that up because I've been thinking about getting YouTube premium recently because I've been starting to count how how much time I spent watching ads on every video. I think it's ticking up more and more. <laughs> um and yeah, what what they need to do? I think I think they have an idea. I think they're the right idea. What they need to do, right? If their whole issue is that they're getting IP taken away from them and used by their competitors to start up their own streaming services, the and the obvious answer there is that they need to build their own unique IP, right? Which is what they're trying to do. Like they bought a bunch of um, rights to different shows. I think they have the rights to the new to the new like Avatar: The Last Airbender movie adaptation or something like that. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, they, I mean, they launched Wednesday, right? Like um, two months ago or something. That was yeah. a huge success. And so I think they have the right idea there, whether or not they can succeed. I mean, hey, it's just show business, right? Like you can guess as much as you want, but at the end of the, end of the day, it's hard to get a clear expectation of whether or not you're actually going to come up with a hit until, until the people watch it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's hard to say. Just on that point of like, you don't know if you're going to come with a come up with a hit unless people watch it i know i've seen like a lot of people critiquing netflix for not having stronger marketing for the things they release like a lot of people are cynical like yeah of course if you don't tell anyone this show is coming on it's not going to get any views yeah. it's like a lot of people will talk about shows that they found were really good that ended up just getting canceled like after the first season by now mind hunter for me 
<laughs> hey, that is season two. A yeah, shitty season two. I think they want to go for season three, though. All the actors yeah. are in. But... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, like it's a constant thing. Like I think I saw even like a tweet today about like some really big name directors like producing a show for Netflix and it's releasing in a few days and they haven't seen anything about it. Mm. And like a bunch of people in the comments were like, wait, what? This is the first time hearing about it. What were these like? We're fans of the director. I don't remember it, Dylan. I sent the tweet to you. Um, one second. <laughs> like there were like a lot of people were caught by surprise with the release of uh, Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel by Ryan Johnston. Yeah, I didn't know that was going to Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I was I was super hyped. I mean, I w- I've been following it for years, but I think the average person I saw a lot of comments at least on the Twitter announcements like it's out. I'm like like wait, there was a sequel, and for reference, like Netflix paid. I believe in the range of 300, 400 million for the rights to this sequel in the, in the third movie as well. And then it's like, you're not going to really advertise it. Like, where's that money going to, right? Yeah, no, it's crazy. And there was even like a a recent, I, I don't know if it was a TV show or movie, but I've seen it posted a lot on Twitter that just got canceled. That was supposed to be about like the Bermuda Triangle or something. And I guess that had some big wigs in it or something. And everyone was like, wait, this happened? I didn't even hear about this. And now it's already canceled after its first season. Like what's going on here? And it's just like a repeating cycle of no one knowing about what's even on Netflix. And they're producing it. So they should be marketing it. The director you're talking about is Palm d'Or winner Hirokazu Koreeda. Well, a lot of people in the comments to that tweet were like, wow, I'm a big fan of his work and I didn't know that was happening. So it's also interesting because like literally Oh, oh you do you know do you recognize the name? Yeah, yeah. Shoplifters was was really good. Um I, I would I would recommend it. I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> He's releasing something new on Netflix in a few days. Look out for it. Oh, I'm excited now. <laughs> um it's it's funny that Mark that Netflix has this marketing problem because they literally don't advertise upcoming shows on their homepage, right? Like I, I'm yep. sure they that, okay. That's they not started true. too recently. I yeah, I'm sure that. they have in the past for the very biggest things, right? But no, like no, it's no. not. I, I whenever I log into Netflix, I don't see anything. I there's see a, there's a new whole section for upcoming things. You have to click into another tab though. For it. do you? I saw it, like, it's crazy. like you have to click into the whole other section, right? I don't know. Let me open up Netflix right now. I think like two weeks ago, I noticed there was a whole new bar for upcoming stuff that I've never seen. Before. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. I feel like just bottom line, Netflix needs a UI redesign. Oh yeah, definitely. I agree. <laughs> um. I want to, while while Casey's pulling up Netflix, I want to return to something you mentioned, Hope, that the uh, traditional broadcasting has some staples in the the form of sports and like uh, 24-7 newscasting, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I don't know how many people know this, but on Twitch, uh, which is owned by Amazon, they they own the rights to uh, Thursday night football from the NFL. So they stream the games on Twitch. And when it, when they're streaming it, it's usually the number one featured broadcast on Twitch's homepage. An- another thing that was in the news is that YouTube, owned by Google, has also purchased the rights to streaming NFL games. I think it's the... I told Hope about this. It was like I think the it's Friday, Monday night? The oh, Monday the new, night? Yeah, the new Friday There's night no games. Friday yeah. night games. Friday night games I think are they're, they a thing? I think it's yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> it's a new thing. 
Yeah. It used to always be Thursday, Sunday, and Monday. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they now have the rights to this Friday night game. So it seems that like these these big players in streaming are slowly getting their grips, their jaws into traditional broadcasting content. And I'm wondering, and I'm curious if this changes or shifts your your perspective on the future of broadcast TV. Because if these things move to streaming services where you can, like anyone can access them. Like I, I, it's theoretically, it's free to access the NFL game on Twitch, right? On Thursdays. But for the cable, you need a subscription. So there's a free option and there's a, there's a paid option. And I'm wondering if this changes your perspective, Hope, on like how TV broadcasting is going to be in the future. I think as people die out and their cable subscriptions die out too, and we get older, I think it will probably also die out, especially if those sorts of staples transition to other places. Like my grandparents are never going to buy a streaming service. They don't own a computer. They don't have Wi-Fi. Like they're going to stick with that for them but they're going to eventually pass away and those people who are like them will also eventually pass away and then we'll all just have streaming services monopolized streaming services even hbo combined with discovery so casey do you have any thoughts i i feel like the but things like watching for for one, I, I I am one of those viewers still, and uh, <laughs> I, I spam I spam my Twitch emotes when I'm watching Thursday night football. I think of it as a loss leader because again, Amazon doesn't care about profitability in its video streaming segment and its you know Prime Video segment. They want eyeballs, right? They want viewers. And um, if you subscribe to <clears throat> Amazon Prime, aka like or Amazon Video. And then you get like a Twitch sub, right? And you want to use that on the channel. So I think it's like an incentive to drop people into Twitch, ergo, draw more people into using Prime Video Services. And I, I, I see it's like, yeah, it's a loss leader for them. It's something, it's a hit that they're worth taking. They're worth, they're okay with taking reduced revenue as long as people are using their platform, right? People are putting, people are giving them access to their data. To, and they're getting access to a new demographic that they typically haven't because the, the backbone of Twitch is gaming, right? It's gamers. And well, there's some overlap, I think folks that would watch uh, the fo- folks that will watch NFL games are, are definitely separate. And so I think they see it in terms of that. I don't think it's going to stay this way in the long run. I think in like five, 10 years, you're going to have, you're probably going to see every single NFL game available, like whether it's ESPN, Google, uh, YouTube sports, Twitch, etc. Mm-hmm. But they're all going to be paywall in one form or another. It's like, well, if you want to watch this for free, you should get Twitch Prime. Yeah, I think I think that's a good take. Um, the final question or topic I want to pose to you guys, and, I, and this I just thought of this over the course of this discussion. I'm wondering if there is a growing slash developing class disparity in terms of entertainment media and this this came to mind because casey you mentioned the history of entertainment how like there's always been highbrow entertainment like opera etc etc where people only the the wealthiest people 
could attend, right? They have to dress up in fancy clothing. They have to pay for the ticket, which is really expensive. Um, and that's kind of still the case for certain things. Opera still exists. Frontside tickets for live sports, very expensive, insanely expensive. Um, I don't know if you heard the or saw the article that was like, people gave up their life savings just to get a ticket to the FIFA World Cup. <laughs> but I'm wondering if there is a growing class disparity in streaming as well because as it is right now streaming seems to be very accessible especially the free options such as youtube such as twitch and all the other platforms are relatively affordable if you like choose to if you're selective about which ones you want to subscribe to but it seems like the direction we're heading in is that there's going to start to be ads there's going to be different tiers of subscription and i'm wondering if there's ever going to be a point at which streaming suddenly becomes clear class divide like only the wealthiest families have like tier a subscriptions to all the services whereas lower income families are forced to do tier d subscriptions something 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 like that I, <laughs> I, it's just off the top of my head but i'm wondering if you guys think this is a thing or if i'm making this up i mean that's just how everything works isn't it Boom. I agree, actually. <laughs> like, people, wealthier people always have better access to, like, literally everything. <laughs> what don't they have better access to? Well, then I guess this begs the natural follow-up, which Casey has hypothetically been hinting at. Will we see a rise in piracy again in the next five to ten years in streaming? I think so. I think it's already starting to rise because like everything's been splintered to multiple streaming services. I feel like, hmm, that's interesting. I, I feel like I have a contrarian take to that maybe where I think we're not going to see a rise in piracy. I think, uh, I think literally if you look at statistics, like the amount of, um, the amount of files on the Pirate Bay or RBG or these other, you know, widely used like piracy sites, I think the amount of people that were seeding or downloading these files went down as Netflix grew. And what we're seeing right now is not necessarily an increase in piracy, but rather a resurgence because of how annoying it is for people to use so many different streaming sites. But I, I think to go back to your initial question, Dylan, like, do you think there's like going to be class divide? I, yeah, I mean, it's what Hope said. <laughs> there's always going to be class divides. Rich people, privileged people are always going to have more access, more opportunity. But I think I think the paradigm is shifting and it, it kind of ties into what you were talking about when it comes to watching things in person. I think the greater availability of live streamed events makes it so I, more and more you're going to see event organizers charging higher and higher prices for, uh, for their tickets to actually attend in person um, or like the cost barriers to it, uh, going to these events will be higher. Obviously, I, I don't know if you guys have used Ticketmaster. I've used it. I hate it. I think mm -hmm. there's not really any incentive for the stakeholders involved to make it more friendly for the consumer by lowering ticket prices. I think also like a music artist pushes heavily for it. They're not going to do that for concerts or, you know, at all. Um, and I think as a result, I think it ties into like, honestly, like a greater picture of how as more as technology advances and you see like more and more like synthetic things or inorganic things, you're going to see it where uh, a, a point of class divide, a status divide is going to be the ability to access the real, right? Like whether that's like 
I don't know, non-GMO foods, organic foods. We've been seeing that for the past two decades. I think in the future, it's like, it's, it's live experiences, right? Because it's like, yeah, anyone can pay, you know, presumably five, $10 a month to gain access and watch this like pay-per-view or like watch World Cup from their home, right? But then to attend in person, it's like, wow, you actually have to have money for that. Yeah. And I think like, I think that's a shame. There's a huge difference between attending an event live in person versus watching it through a screen. Yeah. So I think it'll be like another, I think yeah, it will be another point of class divide, unfortunately, but along a different schema. Well, on that note, this has been coming in without context. Uh, Hope, what do you think the topic was for this episode? Um, I think it was the future of streaming services. Yes, that is that, that that's right. Boom. <laughs> Casey, thank you for joining us for these past three episodes. Uh, do you have anything to plug? <laughs> yeah, follow follow me on Twitter underscore we shall w e e x i a o. Awesome. All right. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with another three episodes hopefully after this um, and then there might be another break after that but we'll see we're just doing this for fun anyway all right thanks for listening <laughs>